Welcome to another episode of The Root of All Business. This is your host, Jasper, and today's guest is Mr. James Bajron. He helps leaders, professionals, and organizations develop their mental strategies, attitudes, and resilience that forms the foundation for accomplishment, both personally and professionally. With over three decades of experience in international commerce, he shares his experiences, understanding of what it takes to lead and perform at a high level. In other words, he's a performance specialist who helps professionals and helps develop a high performance culture and mindset for success. James, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was uh, the only reason I put that on there because somebody's asked me before about a, a bio. So it's an elongated way of uh, saying uh, I'm, what you just said at the end is a performance coach. It's to help people work on their mindset. So absolutely, I've, I've, I've um, you know, we, we had a conversation before this interview, and I was fascinated by your story. And I was thinking, you know what, James told me about his story, and and I have all these other things that I, I want to talk about. But I think the best way to start will be for you to share your story of how you got to where you are right now and, you know, where you started. And I remember you saying that you were 21 and you were at the top of the world. You were, you've achieved what a lot of us dream of, you know, in terms of financial success and things we want to do. And you have achieved it at such an early age. And then the series of events that took place. And that was very interesting, fascinating. So I'd love for you to share that story and that side. Sure. Well, Growing up, like a lot of kids, I was very much into sports. And at that particular time, Muhammad Ali was the, the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. And it just fascinated me that the way that he could perform and do things almost at will. And so it was always, as a kid, think, being fascinated about how can we achieve, how can we do that? And my... Childhood, though to the outside world might seem as though it was, you know, really good, you know, everything was perfect, home life and all that, it, it was far from it. It was, it was quite a challenge as a kid growing up. And so when I left school, I left school as what um, a friend of mine later on described me as an angry young man. And I suppose looking back, he was probably right, to be honest, while he was very right, to be honest with you. He was absolutely spot on because the headmaster at school at the time, though he didn't kick me out of school, I was along with a group of others that were, it was suggested that it would be better if we went out into the big wide world and made our own way rather than take up spots at school for the more academic people. And it, it wasn't a case that, was that we were thick or stupid or anything, but, you know, there were some seriously talented, gifted academics at the school I went to. And I wasn't in that way inclined to say I was more of the sports and getting things done from that side rather than, you know, looking at Latin and classics and all these other things. And so when I went out to the world, I was, uh, as I say, determined but angry. You know, certain things had happened and I, I didn't ha know how and to go about and then change them. And I thought it was, you know, by brute force that we went and changed things in life. You know, if we, we were determined, we had to go and make them happen. And sometimes that wasn't always the, the right way I found. And, you know, when I went out into the commercial world, I got involved in shipping, shipping oil. And 
the, the people I was surrounded by were very much similar. And as they say, the old adage, birds of a, feather, birds of a feather flock together. And so I was in this environment of competition the whole time. And if you weren't competitive, you were just going to get eaten alive. And so the more competitive you were, the, the higher you would get up the ladder. And, and it, it was literally almost like elbows on top of other people to get to that level. And there were some very clever, uh, manipulative and gifted people. And, and I learned an awful lot, but I learned a lot, a lot about uh, how not to do things, if you see what I mean. And so in the 80s, Gordon Gecko uh, was a, in a film uh, called Wall Street. I don't know if you ever saw it, but yes, it, was all yes, about, it was all about greed is good. And that was the... That was basically the motto of the industry I was in. Though they, people didn't say it, it wasn't really openly stated as such, but it was prevalent, if you see what I mean, with people that uh, were very affluent. And it, it was all about money, nothing else. And so it was just something that as a kid, I, I looked to, well, I want to go out and make money, want to go out and be successful. And it was all these things. But in the, re the real world of things is that uh, I discovered that a lot of the people around me were not the best sort of people to be around at times because I became a victim of my own situation, as it were, is that I was involved with a group of people who didn't have the values and that I necessarily thought would move us forward. And eventually I was proved right <laughs> because the group that I'd set this company up with, uh, taken advantage. And I was really green, to be honest with you, starting, I was you know, part of the group that started a company when I was 22. And I really didn't know enough. And as I say, the people I was being mentored by didn't have the values and the, the morals that you would, you would want. And by then, my father had passed away, so I didn't really have anybody to go and speak to about how to handle certain situations, especially in a commercial world and in business. And I was to put it this way, I, I lost and uh, I learned very, very quickly about how not to do things, if you see what I mean. Though I, I had what a lot of people would say was the perfect job and the perfect life, you know, traveling around in the world from a young age, dealing with companies from all over the world. I had, you know, by then, a fantastic family, a wife, two kids, the dog, the detached house, the travel and you name it. So, you know, and I was getting paid to go out with people and getting paid to travel the world. But the reality was that people don't always see the behind the, the scenes sort of situation about how you actually get there and the, trials and tribulations along the way. And everybody seems to think, oh, well, the money is the side that, yeah, but you should be okay because you've got the money. But it doesn't really work out like that. Say, and you, when you realize there are other things that are more important, sometimes it can be too late. Fortunately, um, I managed to keep my family out of, uh, out of it all, which other people didn't. As I say, the two guys that I'd set the company up with, ended up divorced, losing money and all sorts of other 
mental challenges and problems through life. Is that is that why you kind of kind of on on this journey of you know you, you mentioned a point came where where you kind of had you were going through a rough patch to say the least and uh, you didn't have anyone to go to like for example your father and is that why you've kind of on the path of you know helping others you know being a coach or a mentor to them but there's a lot of people out there that you know um, some people think because all all this explosion in industry if you like uh, people think. I don't need it. There's too many. There's all that kind of stuff. Do you think it's really important to have that mentor, that coach? Could be your your father, for example, your family member, or someone from outside. Yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, that's a, a great question. And to be honest, what comes to my mind when I've been asked before, you know, what's the one thing that you would change in all of the situation? And without a shadow of a doubt, uh, it's in here. What's between your ears? As I said, I was an angry young man going out into the world. But the thing is, most often we don't realise what we're really like, especially as teenagers. We have to be bold. We have to be, you know, confident and overconfident and that the ego takes over. And so the thing is that we don't really realise that what we do need. And the thing is that we need to work on our minds more than anything is... Because if we don't work on our minds, our minds end up basically controlling us, if you see what I mean. And so, yeah. to be honest, I didn't have anybody to turn to to really find out whether I was going on the right path or the wrong path. And so I had to find out myself. And, yeah, it was painful. <laughs> it was painful, to say the least. So I would say also what you're saying there about is the explosion, the coaching side and everything. Yeah, it is important because we often learn from people inside our own families that have our best wishes at heart, but they don't really understand the power of coaching and the power of getting you to answer the right questions. And that's the thing. So sometimes people want to protect us and they don't know how to help us really by moving forward. And that's where having a coach and a mentor does rather than somebody that knows you and thinks they have your best interests at heart which is family which they don't always do that so the thing is I would go back and work on this as I say the, the mind if, if I could work on that things would be an awful lot different and I'm not saying that what's happened has been wrong because it's happened and it's been an experience because it's all part of life's experience is that we find that when we make mistakes and failures and people look at them as a negative uh, that I did for many years. But the thing is that that's the wrong mindset because that's the way we're, we're taught as kids. We're taught not to make mistakes. We're taught when we go to school. I remember seeing all these marks down the side of my book that stick inside of your head is, oh, you know, you make mistakes and, oh, you failed and you didn't get in the school team, you failed and all these sorts of things. So we are conditioned. To, to believe that failure is wrong. But that's, that's absolute bullshit because at the end of the day, if we don't make mistakes, we never really learn anything. You know, whether you're designing an airplane for the first time, like the Wright brothers, did they get it right the first time? No. You know, when you're making Thomas Edison, when, uh, when he was doing all his experiments, it took him thousands of times before he actually got it right. 
the perception wasn't that it's, oh, it's failed. It's, oh, hang on a sec, now I've discovered how not to do something. And if we take that approach, then we have a far better way of actually moving forward. But I didn't as a kid. You know, we have all these things, and that's part of where the anger came from is that, oh, I'd failed. You know, people considered you a failure if you don't, if you're not really successful, if you haven't got all these things. And it's part of the upbringing, and that's why so many people want to have all this success and everything. They don't always find true success, you know, through physical things and stuff and cars and all the other things that make supposed to make people happy. Is that right? You're absolutely right. I mean, I was one of those people because when I was back in school as well, I had a similar kind of story of, you know, I was being bullied and that really affected the way I studied. And if I'm being honest with myself, I wasn't really interested in school anyway. That's the true yeah. honest of it. I really found it boring to read the textbooks and, I'm, and I saw adults, teachers that are not using the knowledge they have learned. Uh, they have learned in school and then how, how useful is it in real life and later many many years later and then you know you go through the phase of things will make me happy a new iphone and uh, nice clothes and all of that i'm not saying they're not important and then things like you know being very confident with yourself you know learning things and testing them out and having that kind of mindset it's very important as i'm getting older i'm learning that and i'm finding those things to hold a lot more value than other things those are just byproducts you know of, of you working hard and, 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 you know, making your life a bit easier. You, I hear a lot of this, I'm sure you're the same as well, about mindset. Everybody talks about mindset and stay positive and da-da-da-da. You know, there's, there's a lot of that talk. How do you approach mindset? Um, do you approach it from the angle of, you know, here's a goal, you go after it, and that's what seems to be majority of, or, you, or are you someone, from what I've learned about you so far, it's more about, you know, what have you done so far that hasn't worked? And just look at that. To answer your initial question about well, how do I approach things with mindset is, I'll give you a little story. That I approach mindset is the way that my mind works, the way that I want it to work, and what I want my life to be like and what I want to achieve all the time. It's not something we flick into and out of, and this is the problem. Because right. on average... People spend between 70 and 90% of their day, some say even as much as 95% of their day, on autopilot, which means they're not in control. Their subconscious is in control. And they'll get up and they'll do the same thing every day. They'll say the same things. They'll do the same things. And they'll just keep rep repeating. For example, I'm sure you or many of your people that, uh, that are listening, your audience, will have driven somewhere and, you know, they've got there, they're in a, in a rush or whatever. They're going out to meet the girlfriend or whatever. And they get there and they're suddenly like, oh, crikey, I was in such a state because I knew I was late and they put their aftershave on or whatever. And they've got there and they don't even remember driving there. But they've changed gears or they've turned the radio on or they've looked good in the mirror, making sure their hair's nice or whatever. They've done all that stuff without even realizing. Why? Because their subconscious has done it. And that's the way a lot of their lives are actually run. And that's the thing is that that's controlling us rather than us controlling our life. And the story I was going to allude to was that I said, you know, to somebody a few years ago that working on the mind and this, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm actually working on, you know, planning, thinking of what I'm going to be doing and think, okay, how I can go about that and setting aside a time to go through things, 
A, meditate, focus on what I want, and then how, and see what comes up, and then write about it. And they're looking at me and thinking like I was from another planet, saying, what are you doing all that for? And I said, well, they said, you know, that seems like crazy stuff. That's all that head trash, you know, that, that's taking control of you. And I said, no, that's exactly the opposite, that I'm in control of what I want to happen. Now I'm actually putting things in place and using my mind to think about what is happening, why I'm not achieving certain things, why am I doing certain things, and what habits have, have developed without me knowing, rather than the person who said, oh, well, you know, that said that to me, they just get up and carry on doing the same thing every day. So whose mind is being controlled and whose life is being controlled? But the thing is, they're not even aware of it. And so when I started looking at how to actually work on my mind, I started many years ago, but I didn't realize the results I was getting were not the results I wanted to, even though I was teaching, training guys to perform, you know, in broking rooms in London to make a lot of money and be successful. There were certain things that I was lacking. And say, that's the big thing is that if we're not aware of certain things, we can never change them. You know, it's a bit like having, you know, you've got a monkey on your back. If you can't see him, how are you going to get him off? And that's what it's all about is being able to see when you've got that monkey on your back and then you can do something about it. And so that's the idea of, developing the mindset you want to have and work with it so you're in control of your mind, which then changes the way that you look at everything and the results that you get. But we've got our minds with us 24 hours a day, 365 days a year for the rest of our lives. If we don't work with that, well, guess what happens? We either end up with the figures, are, uh, I just uh, did a talk on it recently, the 40 million Americans struggling with anxiety disorder, one in four people in the UK. Wow. One in four people in the UK. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's higher than that. And this week has been Mental Health Awareness Week. But look at the number of people that are struggling with stress, anxiety, and all these other things. Why? Because their minds are controlling them. And it's this constant negativity that we have in the media, the news, and everything else. And so we don't know how to control that happening in life and how we look at things. We need to be in control of our minds because if, you've got, if, if you have that, we end up mentally stronger, and mentally stronger people are healthier people, full stop. Very, very interesting you mentioned this. Um, I have been on my own journey as well, and, and very similar to yourself, I was, you know, typically you you would go to, you know, you have this routine in the morning, you know, get up as close to um, uh, leaving your home time as possible, rush through taking a shower, getting ready, you know, drive to work, come back home. And, you know, um, and then if you have those four or five hours where you want to try to squeeze as much as you can in by spending time with your family, watching a bit of TV and, and, you know, uh, all the important things that you want to achieve. Like for me, it was I want to learn an instrument. I want to write a book. I want to, yeah. that was like, you know, if I do all of that, then, then I won't have any time to watch any TV. And I kept on doing that for six, seven, eight years. And in the, only in the last three, four, five months, I've, I've sat down and told myself, what's really important to me? What is it that I want to get out of my life? That needs to be done every single day. So that's my writing in the morning. That's my reading. That's my meditation. Um, that's my practicing my piano. 
that needs to be done first. Spending time with my family, an hour or two, talking to everyone, how's it, you know, how's your day, all that kind of things. And then if I have a little bit of time, watch TV. That's the last thing I want to do if there's time. Get good sleep, make sure I sleep at time. That's really, I've seen a massive change in my, I, I seem to be more in control. I seem to be much lighter in the head. I seem to be really enjoying it. I feel, seem to be more alive. How do you kind of take all of that? You know, it took me many years. I'm sure it's taken you so many years. And when you tell people this, they think you're crazy or, or you need when your family members go, why don't you come and, you know, watch TV with us? I'm like, I don't want to do that. I could do that for 10, 15 hours and feel the same. I do this, do this and I feel accomplished. I feel lighter. I feel clearer in my head. And I like that. I'm ready for the next day. I'm looking forward to the next day. How, how do you get people when you talk to, I know you work with executives, business owners, entrepreneurs, elite sports men and women. How do you get them? I'm sure they get into this or they were like that. How, how do you change that? Well, initially, the, the, the thing is people expect things to happen. Well, I call it the microwave results. You know, you put something in, ping, three minutes later, oh, it's ready. And that's the problem with what we do in life these days. So many people expect because, you know, you're talking about an iPod a minute ago or anything else, is that, oh, we can just pop onto eBay or Amazon, click, bing, it's going to be here in, you know, 12, 24 or 48 hours. They expect the same thing in life and everything else. But it's not like that because we have been doing things for many, many years. So we've become conditioned. It's no different than a laptop. The, 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 the software inside that is very similar to what's in our head in so much as the, the programs that are running. We're taught how to do things. We're taught how to think things. We're not taught, we're, sorry, we're taught what to think. We're not taught how to think. So we're taught, you know, to think a certain way, to say things a certain way. So when we keep doing those things over and over again, the, the mind works on, in habits. It likes things to be habitual, as I said, because then it starts running. You know, it, it doesn't need us to think about things, you know. So in order for us to change those things, it takes time, which is why so many people don't lose, uh, you know, shed weight when they want to. So many people say they're going to go to the gym in January and come January the 6th or 7th or 10th, they're not there anymore, you know, and all these other things. You say like learning a piano, learning another language. How many people actually spend time doing that? They don't because it's not something they've built into their habit. It's easier to come home from work, tell themselves, I've had a hard day. Again, which is nonsense, telling ourselves I've worked hard. It's all these conditions. We've, it's hard. What Concrete is hard. Work is not hard. But we've told ourselves something that is hard. So, oh, it's difficult. I need to treat myself to go and sit in front of the TV for six hours and vegetate. You know, that's the sort of thing is because we've become conditioned. But when you're asking about the people I've worked with, the elite golfers, execs, CEOs, business people, they're not all the same, but it's the people at the very, very top that want to do things. They know that they realize that they have to change. They don't expect everything else around them to be all nice and rosy without them changing. And it was, um, I think it's James Allen, the English writer and poet who said that man wants to improve his conditions and circumstances, but he's not willing to improve himself. He therefore remains bound, which basically means that he stays stuck because he, he wants to have all these good things in life and, 
fantastic lifestyle and everything, but he wants it all to come to him without doing anything. Life doesn't work like that. And so getting the people to work at things that they want to, you have to go through certain processes, and each person's different. The, the big thing you have to start out with is why you want to do what you want to do. Because if you don't have that reason that's strong enough, when you come across a challenge, oh, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, I'll do it next week. Because it's not important enough. And if it's not important enough or it's free, oh, I don't need to bother with it. There's no, you haven't got any skin in the game. You know, if, if something's free, you haven't got any skin in the game. And if it doesn't really bother you, well, you're not really going to be bothered unless you have a big enough reason to do something. So if, for example, somebody told you last year that you were going to have to spend eight weeks sitting inside your living room or your house and not go out, they would have said you were nuts. But if they told you that your life may depend upon it, guess what? With what we've had for the last eight weeks, you've had most of the world been, has been staying inside. So it just depends upon what your reason is for doing what you want to do. And that takes time sometimes when you actually work with somebody to, to find out. And it's only those people that have a really good reason why they want something that's, and they're committed enough to it that will actually achieve, which is why you only get one or 2% on the planet ever achieve certain things that what they really, really want because they just have this utter determination that they're going to make it happen. And it goes with their reason behind it. I, as I go back to Muhammad Ali when I was a kid, it just started fascinating me. How can this man just do this stuff? He wasn't the, the biggest, baddest man on the planet. He, but he, he just found a way. Is it almost, from, from what I'm understanding, from what you said, is that it's almost that people that 1% or people that the right at the top are more, is that they have this sense of awareness, whereas people just below that, you know, they're still stuck. They don't know they have a problem yet. Uh, they, they're just going to keep, they might, they, they'll complain and whine and they'll go, you know, uh, you know, it's easier to watch TV or just do what I'm doing. You know, that's fine. I'm comfortable. But it's that 1% go, you know, what's the next? I'm bored of this. What's, what's the next? Yeah, it's, you're absolutely right. It is awareness. It's different. There are different levels of awareness. You know, somebody that could just be starting out, you, you mentioned about learning the piano. Somebody that's been learned, just been learning the piano you know, isn't as aware as somebody that's been learning for, say, three years. So they're at a different level of awareness is that somebody like that won't necessarily have to look at the music. They can just listen and then start playing it. And then you'll get somebody like Stevie Wonder who's never even seen music, but listen to how he plays. And that's another level. So you've got different levels of awareness. And some people, as you say, when they don't have the level a certain level of awareness, that they'll just say, oh, yeah, that doesn't matter. That comes out as excuses. And when you, when you get that, you realize, well, okay, then you don't want to get something as much as you said you did in the first place. And it's, that's the difference between those people that really want to achieve and those that don't. What, what do you do with people that are, you know, um, that are, get super excited, go, you know what, uh, James, I want to make a change. I want to achieve this. I want to take my company here. I want to take my career to the next level. I'm ready. I'm good to go. And you see that the first two months are amazing. And then this motivation thing kicks in 
and then it kind of runs out of fuel and it dips and that person wears off. I've seen that personally within myself. I've seen that within other people. They're, you know, they're, those are the kind of people and I was like that. Um, you know, I'll work 10 times harder. I'll, you know, that's fine. That's all good for two, three months. You know, if you're lucky, you'll get that. And then it kind of starts to go down and they're like, I'm not really sure I want to go ahead and do this. What do you do there? What's, what's happening there? Good question. Good question. And it just depends upon each situation, for example, that I tend not to work with people on short term, i.e. four, six, eight weeks and that sort of thing. It's longer term because that's where you see the growth over a longer period of time, as, as we said a few minutes ago. And as you mentioned, you know, that it's taken you a number of years. I know people don't want to hear that because they think, as I said a minute ago, eight years, three years, five, I don't want it. I want now. Yeah. But, you know, the people realize is that, that want to make a difference, not just in their lives, but in other people's lives, is that they are playing the longer game. So what you do is you have an interim goal, but you break it down into shorter goals, as it were, shorter milestones, more chunks, yeah. And so two things you mentioned there, again, that a lot of people use in their vocabulary is that word hard. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to work harder. You don't have to work harder. You don't have to. You just be more committed and take the word hard out of every situation because that's just nonsense. What, what is working harder? I worked harder today than I did yesterday. But you ask somebody, can you describe that? What does it mean? They, they can't. Concrete is hard, as I've already said. But when you work, you're committed. The amount of effort you put in and the results you get is what, you, is what we focus on. Okay, let's look at the results. That should be the, the key to everything there. But also, it goes back to what I said, the reason why is you reevaluate situations you go along. Things will change. If you're, whether you're running a business, you're running a charity, or doing something, learning a, an instrument, that it's, it's not like this. It will be like that, and it will be a mess at times because there'll be a lot of you know, failures, excuses, learning, uh, mistakes, and all sorts of things that you have to go through and unravel. And only through doing that is that you become more aware as you go down the road. You start learning more. You start realizing you grow as a person, and it's who you become as a person to achieve the things that you want to do rather than just the achieving those things. And as you grow as a person, as you become more aware, you then get to a position, do you know what? When I thought about making this or doing that, I've seen a whole new thing that's come out of this that I can actually, as opposed to helping you know, 20 companies, actually we can help 500 companies. Whereas at the beginning, you wouldn't even thought of helping 500 companies because you, you didn't think you could do that. And the more you grow as a person, so two, three months down the line, it's through the process, and that's part of working with a coach or a mentor, that they start asking those questions. Say, okay, so you, you how does, say you, somebody wanted to, to set up a chain of stores and have four or five stores, right? So they've opened the third one. Throw in something along the lines of, okay, so you still only want to open five stores? What would it look like opening 25? Now, that may scare them, or that may turn around and say, do you know what? I've opened three, three or four already. 
that maybe 25 isn't such an impossible thing. But it's just the way that they think their mindset will be completely different further down. And I don't like the use of the word, uh, just for personal point, I don't like um, uh, motivation because motivation is outside driven, is driven by somebody else. It's usually associated with, you know, at school we had swimming instructors and football PE instructors. They used to motivate you to get going, which meant they wanted you to do something rather than getting that person to be inspired, which comes from within. That goes back to the reason why. Once you start touching into people's inspiration, that's when you get different results and better results. I want to shift gears slightly sure. and, and, and talk about you know, stress and pressure in the work environment. We were talking about a bit earlier on in the conversation about in the modern business world, how stressful environments are, how pressurized they are to deliver results. All this mind stuff, and I've seen this, you know, people that, you know, talk about, I know it's not about practices, it's about the long time, it doesn't happen overnight. But why is it that certain people have these good habits, if you like, or good routines and doing the right things? And when it comes to the stress and pressure, they crumble. How do you kind of work with that and, and deal with that in the modern world? How do you prepare your clients and, and people, especially right at the top, and their pressure would be a lot more immense than someone, you know, working a professional. How do you prepare them for that? Because you can, you can do meditate all day long. You can, you know, have these nice habits and you can stay calm. But when things really get going, the, the true you comes out. Yeah. Um, and that's when you get really tested. So how do you kind of uh, work with that? It comes down to perception. Only comes down to perception is how one person perceives a situation versus uh, another person. One per you can have two people go through exactly the same experience, and one person come out shocked and like this, and another person, okay, dust themselves down and move on. And that will that perception will come down to a set of thoughts, you know, how you perceive things, how you think about it, how you feel about situations, which relate to how you, what your beliefs are. And if you've been conditioned, programmed, taught to think certain things are bad, i.e., as we said a few minutes ago about failures and mistakes, whereas somebody else with, say, a growth mindset will look at things like that as a challenge, whereas somebody else will construe themselves as a failure, then, wow, hang on a second, guess who's going to come out, you know, going through a real problem, being more mentally stressed? The person that looks at things, you know, different than somebody that looks at it as a challenge. So it's, it's just the way that we think about situations that makes all the difference. And I, I know when I was working, I was only my, I could only have been, I think I was probably... 30, 30 years of age, and I was going through immense uh, amount of pressure and stress, working sometimes 20 hours a day, and I'd just taken on a new role and looking after this one particular very, very successful client, but I didn't have a real team of people around me. Even though there was a team I worked in, I was on my own trying to develop the team, and so 
I remember going, I was at work one day and I was just reading a, a newspaper and I was, my eyes started going funny because the lines looked all wavy and the, the print was just all over the place. And then all of a sudden I just started having trouble breathing. And I thought, oh, hang on a second, I can't breathe and I can't see properly what's happening. And then in the end, literally, I, just, I was gasping for breath thinking I was having a heart attack. Turned out when the paramedics came, I had a, a panic attack just purely through the amount of stress and pressure I was under. Wow. And so I was carted off to, to hospital and everything. But, you know, that was, uh, I can't remember what day of the week it was. I think that was a, it was a, I think it was a Friday because I had the weekend of Saturday and Sunday and then back to work straight away on the Monday. But the point about it was is that the realisation was that the way I was looking at everything, looking at everything as a pressure, as a stress, whereas when a guy called Dr. Wayne Dyer, if you've not heard of him. Wayne Dyer, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah familiar with him. He had a tremendous saying, which was, when you change the way you look at something, the thing you look at changes. And it's so true. Some people think I'm pretty nuts when, I, when they look at things that they go, oh, look at that, but you don't want to go, don't do that, it's going to be so dangerous. Or you, well, yeah, running over, uh, trying to run across a street with a, your eyes shut is, is stupid and dangerous. But if you're doing something that people are doing all the time and it's not considered as dangerous, then, again, that comes down to perception. You know, I'm not talking about running around across buildings. I'm just talking about doing different sports or something else. And it's the same with a job, is if you're taking calculated risks in trading rooms or whatever, then you know what the situation is. And I worked at – my first job ever was at Bering Brothers, the bank that went uh, defunct. And, you know, I didn't work – it was before Nick Leeson, obviously. But you see – they obviously didn't have systems in place to counteract what he was doing. So somebody would have gone in and done that and thought, okay, I've just lost 2 million, just lost 3 million, just lost 5 million. You, you would have, you know, the stop losses and all sorts of other things that they have in place these days. And you would have triggers, you would have computer systems, plus you would have people around that would realize what's going on. And you know, you know your points at which you either stop, get out, or hang on a second, go and see somebody and says, well, yeah, no, we trade further, or whatever it may be. And I knew guys that were trading in serious amounts of money, and it was like playing poker. They were cool. You would, their, their faces didn't even flinch. You know, three, four, five, ten, twenty million deals, hundred million dollar deals, didn't bat an eyelid. And you'd get one guy... And I, I knew this guy, seriously, he would smoke something like 120 cigarettes a day. And he, he was only talking about deals that are worth three, four, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000. But the guy next to him was doing million-dollar deals, didn't even bat an eyelid. Well, next to each other and one's doing a hundred. Oh, but wow. But that just comes down to perception. It's just all what's in their mind. One guy viewed it upon, it's not my money, great, not a problem. But the other guy, whenever he was doing anything, he was looking at everything as, it's my money. And he was scared of losing his own money. But it wasn't his. So he didn't take any chances. So it's just you have to look at everything a in a different insight. way. And when you realize everything is not life and death, then and, when, and also you look at things in a different perspective when you've been through an awful lot of crap. Certain things are not quite so important as others. 
it's just that your your previous filters kind of start to come in and 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 you know that play a part in in how you make the decision in in doing what you're yeah, doing. The, the thing is, you look at you know going back to what you were saying earlier about the TV situation. You asked a great question. You know, is this really important? That's what I ask myself all the time. Is this really important to me? If it's not, get rid of it. I don't want to know. Because if it's not really important, if it's not worthy of my time, then I'm only really going to spend time stressing and out and, anxi- and getting anxious about something, which is that really going to affect me? Whereas years ago, I lacked the awareness. I didn't realize that. It was just, I'll take everything on, take everything on. Guess what happens? You go down like that. So now it's just a case of, no, don't want to do that. Don't want to do that. If it doesn't, if it doesn't excite me, you don't get a nine or a 10 out of 10 for, for fun value and, uh, and positiveness out of it and somebody's going to benefit out of it, then I don't do it. Simple as that. That kind of raises a very interesting point for me. You being obviously a performance specialist, you know, working with organizations, developing this high-performance culture. Now, and I remember when we were having a chat before our podcast, you, men- you mentioned, and it's a very famous, from, I think it was from Jim Rohn, saying you're the sum of five people yeah. you hang around with. Now, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want to ask you on this in both contexts, right? First of all, in the workplace, where you know, the, the culture isn't, it's not very easy to change a culture of the company. You can't just walk in one day and go, right, guys, we are going to now back each other up. We are going to you know, look after. There's going to be different personalities, different routines, and the way a company does things. How do you change that? How do you work with that? Something that's, you know, you're working with probably hundreds of people, you know, from, um, you know, tens to hundreds of people and trying to change that. And then on the, on the other side as well, and this is more personal from, from my side as well. And I've seen people, they're going, you know what? Come back from work. I've, I've had a great day. Things are good. You come home and your family members, right? They don't have that mindset. They don't have that high achieving mindset. It's, it's a lot easier to change your workplace and go somewhere else and start working somewhere that has a different culture that, that's very close to what you're looking for. But what do you do when it comes to home? How do you do that? You can't get rid of your family members. <laughs> you can't no, say right. <laughs> you're right. And it's, it is a challenge. And I don't know who said it, but it's just the, the, the thing is that you can do the same thing at home that you do in corporate environment or a business environment. You just adapt it. And the, the digging, big thing is to develop trust with, with people. Is in order to develop trust with people, you know, people have to see that you're doing the same things that you're actually saying. Otherwise, right. you know, we see so many politicians. We see, I see so many of the success gurus that stand up on stage and shout out, you know, such a load of rubbish. And you see, they're not actually doing what they're talking about themselves. So guess what? People don't trust them. So when people start seeing you, I suppose they call it walk the talk, as it were, doing what you actually preach, then people start to take notice. I'll give you an example. Rather than telling everybody at Christmas time when everybody's put so much weight on and, you know, had to stay in and not been healthy, I'm going to, get, I'm going to lose X amount of 
weight and I'm going to get healthier and I'm going to go to the gym and come out and I'm going to have a six pack for the summer holiday and tell everybody all that stuff. As opposed to doing that and failing and looking bad, which is what people will think, turn it around another way. Why not just go and do it without telling everybody? So when you start doing that, people see you, you, are you watching TV tonight, Jasbeard? No, I'm going to the gym. You're doing what? I'm going to the gym. Hang on, Sunday, what are you doing? I'm going to the gym. You're going to the gym again? And after three or four weeks, they start, got, they start to get used to you going to the gym all the time. Oh, it's Thursday, Jasper's going to the gym. You start to change people's minds the way they see you that way. Oh, have you noticed? What's this in the cupboard here? Whose food is this? This, this is rabbit food. Oh, that's Jasper's. Oh, he's eating healthy. Yeah, and he's going to the gym. What's got into that boy? Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's if you go and tell everybody what you're doing all the time, that can work for some people, but I found majority of the time it doesn't because it's putting out barrier between you and them is you're having to fight against your own people. It goes back to the mindset. What do you want to achieve? Why do you want to do it? Then you start doing what you want, not what everybody else wants. When you start doing those things and people can actually see what you're doing, they'll either buy into it and appreciate what you're doing is for you rather than what they want you to do. Then they'll, they'll try and get you to do it. They'll always turn around and say, oh, come and have a beer or, oh, come on, it's Friday, have another glass of wine or let, let your hair down, have a six-pack of donuts or whatever they want to do because this goes back to awareness is that they don't realize they're doing it, but it's their own insecurities. When they're stuffing their face with six donuts, it's because they're feeling insecure that you're going to the gym. It's making them look bad. That's the way they look at it. Rather than thinking, do you know what? He's right. Shit, I'm going to go to the gym too. So it's easier just to keep doing your own thing and having that mindset that you're moving forward to what you want. And at some point, people will notice what you're doing. And they will three months down the line when you've got fitter, you're looking a lot healthier, and you're doing all those things. People aren't going to, aren't going to be so quick to judge you. How do you uh, – this, this is great advice. I'm you actually, while you're describing it, I have actually been, been through that where I've committed myself to, uh, you know, come back, from, uh, come back from work and, you know, I'm going to spend an hour, you know, writing and, you know, getting my thoughts on paper and, and do certain things. And everyone's like, come on, just we have had dinner. Let's sit down and watch some TV. And I'm like, no, I need to do this. That's, that's not important. And in any case, in any case, if I'm not learning, so I feel if I'm watching something and if I'm not learning, the, the level of interest is nothing. For me, I understand, you know, once a week on Sunday, let's say binge as much as you like, it's your day off. Other than that, I want, I want to keep focus. That's all good. How do you then now, you know, apply that when you're in, in an organization? Because let's say it's a team of 100, 100 people in a company. And from what I understand you're saying is that if the leader walks the talk, everybody else will. You got it. But let's, let's, let's say that not everybody, the reception is perhaps or, or, the, or the guy, you know, in, in IT does not see the, the, the leader every day. He does not know. He knows that, you, okay, Mr. Rex comes in, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning, leaves at 10 at night. Fair enough. But he does not see other things. How does that leader implement that culture? How does he develop that? He or she develop that culture within the company? Again, great question. The, the, you're absolutely right. As you were talking there, I was going, yeah, you got it. It's the leader. is the person at the top. And this is where so many companies and organizations 
in my opinion, uh, fail their people, fail their shareholders and fail their staff, which is the most important people of all, in my opinion, is the, the, their, their workforce, is they decide and do certain things and tell people rather than show people what they're actually doing. And when you've got uh, somebody there that develops this trust, trust is the thing that is critical in order for anybody to really be successful. Because to me, organizations aren't just, success isn't just about, oh, we made X amount of dollars or we've got this much in the bank and all the rest of it. If you've got a turnover of staff that is like a revolving door, what you really want are staff that want to stay there because it's not just them, it's about their families. And Costco in the States is, is a fantastic. If you read about the, the CEO, about him and how he runs his organizations, it's very similar to the John Lewis group over here. They look after people. They don't have a huge turnover of staff. They have very little because people want to go to those jobs and they get looked after. And when they get looked after and they feel valued, guess what? They're happy. They're happier people. They're more productive. It's not rocket science. It really isn't. So if you get the guy at the top that really wants to make a difference, and that's the difference between making a difference, being significant in life, other people's life, rather than success, because success is just about him, being significant of how he's going to affect all these other people. So when you get him to actually work out what he wants to achieve for the organization and who it's going to affect their clients and customers, you get that effect rather than that insular effect about him. And when you do that, you can get him to then start, you know, doing things in a certain way. He then works with the team, the leaders, and it then has to drift down throughout the whole organization. It's called the law of buy-in, as John Maxwell calls it, is that once people actually start buying into your idea, they're going to go along with you. And once they start, as I, you know, we alluded to a second ago, when they start seeing the way that the guy behaves as well as talks, then they're going to trust him even more. And you've got to go out and have different plans for the people you were talking about that probably don't even see him. That's where communication is, you know, really, really important inside an organization. If you don't have really top communications with your people that you know, give clear messages and understanding, not just tell them, but get them involved so that people know on a regular basis which way is, is the company going, what are, what are our values, what are our, our morals, what are we based on, and so that people feel that they can approach. You know, I've worked with so many different organizations over the years, and that's one of the reasons why I do what I do. You can see the companies that are... They don't care about their staff. It's just trained by fear. You know, this is what we're doing. If you don't like it, there's the door. And how does that, how does that really make the company feel? Or sorry, the people feel? Yeah. So you want them to work, uh, you know, gone five o'clock in the evening? No. That's why they're all putting their coats on at two minutes to five. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the managers are all going, but we need all this stuff done by tomorrow. Oh, they've all gone. Yeah. Think about it. So there are different parts of the framework into it, but you've got to be able to have the trust built in and the communications to the people and also that they've got to see 
the vision of what you want the company and the organization to be like and achieve and have the same type of people that believe in that as well. Because if you don't have that, then you're going to struggle. And the bigger the organization, the more difficult it becomes. Because if you've got a team of, say, five or six people, which is a fantastic number to work with because you're all like this and communicate, doesn't matter if you're in the same room or even if you're working remotely, it's a lot easier to get six people on a Zoom or whatever call than it is 100 people. And the, the more or the bigger it gets, the more diluted at times. And that's where the more uh, the difficult and challenges for the leader. Sorry, you were going to say, Sylvia? Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, as you were talking about how, how, you can, how you can get a buy-in from, from your people, I was about to ask you, you know, what do you do with people that have a lot of resistance? And, and just, just after that, you mentioned that, well, you have to have a clear vision and you have to have the right people that buy into that vision. That makes your life a lot easier when you're trying to implement things and, and trying to get to where that vision is. So, so yeah, that was, that was brilliant. We are now coming towards the end of the show. So, yeah, I, was, I, I thought we'd be leave it on a high note. Anything else you'd like to say before we No, I just down? want to say thank you very much for uh, inviting me to come along and speak. You've asked some great questions, and I hope that uh, your listeners and audience will get something out of it. And it's been very enjoyable, so thank you very much. Oh, thank you for your time. And how can people find you, connect with you, ask you questions? Or? Yeah, my main website is my name, which is James Bargeron. And they can find me the same name on LinkedIn or on Instagram. I don't, I don't, I don't do hundreds of social media. There's not enough hours in the day. And it's just the, those ones at the moment. So, Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Indeed, I enjoyed it. Thank you. I hope you got some great value and insights from this episode. If, and if you're someone who wants to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur, then I have some great free resources for you. If you visit www.jazbearaurora.com, that's www.jazbearaurora.com, and drop me a line, I will send you an ebook and also a one-hour masterclass. And also um, go and take the Escape the 95 survey. Uh, which will help you understand where you are right now um, and where the gaps are in your knowledge to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur. And if you're a business and you need help growing or if you have any uh, issues that you'd like to discuss, then yeah, once again, visit the website and I'll be more than happy to help you. Thank you for listening.